episode nine of the Rugby Abroad podcast and delighted to be here today with, and actually it's a really special episode because it's the first episode that I'm not speaking to a rugby player. I have with me today um, Harry Kirk, sports psychologist, who, well, we we spent some time together about, what, what would it be now, maybe... Eight or nine years ago, when I was uh, yeah. playing at Roslyn, Roslyn Park in London, and mate, I remember um, you you helped me out in quite a difficult time actually. Um, when I was down at Roslyn Park, um, things took a turn for the worst after a after a good good season there, and and they changed the head coach, and and <laughs> um, and I found myself from being top point scorer and, and first name on the team sheet to being out of the team or on the bench with no no real explanation. And I remember speaking to you at the time, and you really helped me keep a positive outlook on things. And and yeah, mate, I I, I wanted to start off by no, normally um, I've given an introduction to guys, but because they're because they're players, I can sort of go chronologically mm-hmm. with the, with their playing careers and see what's what but but it might be just a bit more interesting if you can introduce yourself and and tell us really like how you got into r- rugby or sports psychology was it something you you knew you always wanted to be a sports psychologist or just let us know from the very beginning how it all happened and your story well the uh i guess the inception of the interest in in sports psychology was just knowing that i i enjoyed sport in uh in a in a casual way playing sport but i knew i mean i knew i was never going to be anything above a, a recreational sports person um and and i i found i found the avenue of sports psychology just because it seemed different um a lot a lot of my friends were going the sports science route or maybe sports medicine or sports therapy or physiotherapy and i, I thought i'd do something a little bit different um well, basically, I just thought it might be easier to get a job if if I'm <laughs> one of the few doing it. Um, so, so I I ended up going to university for sports psychology and ended up getting a master's in sport and exercise psychology. And then when I met you, I was uh, not long out of university. Um, and 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 it, it's interesting what you're saying about about your experience there because I I noticed that with park in particular there was uh how do I put this delicately there there was uh you had to be in the right group to get picked essentially I I don't think hard work was rewarded as it should be or should have been um not necessarily with the the your first season um but when there was the change of the guard I think it became it became a bit more clicky and and it was hard for it was hard for people to to understand or break through if they were doing everything they were told by the coaching set oh this is what you need to do this is what you need to work on and then they successfully do that and then there's no reward then there's going to be a big big gap between who starts and who doesn't and the mentality between the two yeah man i i guess there's there's a lot of teams and a lot of coaches who don't necessarily play by the rules straight down the line when it comes mm-hmm. to team selection and things like that um so i guess that's the gap is there to be filled by someone in your position mm-hmm. who can look at things maybe from the outside and really help a player to work through some things which really to him might seem just 
ridiculous or ridic- bad, bad decisions on, on a coach's part or maybe unfair. Um, to, to get that up, different perspective on it, I, I think that shouldn't be underestimated. But I think maybe it is underestimated, in, certainly in the, in the professional game. I don't know how you, how you feel. Yeah, it, that's, it's an interesting point. Um, acceptance of the position grew over time. Um, it, it's a fairly new, uh, widely accepted part of sport. Um, justifying it to coaches is harder than justifying it to players because a lot of coaches come from an old school mentality, right? Where sure. it was just sort of shut up, put your boots on and hit things as hard as you can. Whereas yeah. now you look at the size of some of the, the people and you'll know from playing against them and you're not exactly a small bloke, but <laughs> if, I, if I look at someone like you, um, who in a position of 10, for example, you've got to have the ability to do a wide variety of things at the snap of the fingers. And being a giant bloke or being full of muscle isn't going to help you with that. That's your decision-making process or your communication skills or any of your, your match preparation is different person to person and players are starting to understand that you can only do so much in the gym. There's, there's something else that, that, that puts you apart from other people. Of course, there's natural ability that comes into play, but you can develop skills to make you a better athlete without it being in the gym. And that's what's being recognized more and more as, as time goes on. Sure. Yeah. No. It's 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 interesting to hear. And just getting back to how you got into so rugby specifically, was that something that just led on because of your love of the game, or or did it, did an opportunity arise after you finished your studies? Yeah. So I, I I was pretty lucky. My my dad was actually a, um, a premiership touch judge in rugby. Okay. And nice. so I've I've always had uh, rugby in my family. My granddad was also captain of France. So like it's been, uh, around me. I just haven't, I've just not been the athlete to carry the torch. (laughs) I thought I would, I would carry the torch in, in another way, sort of, um, academically, I suppose. Um, and, and just through that, I, I had connections I, I, I knew certain people and I, I was able when I was studying to do, uh, my, uh, my thesis on, uh, decision making under pressure for elite referees. So I had um, oh, wow. all the top referees, Nigel Owens, etc., um, performing a, a computer-based study about decision making and the decisions they'd make if it was a penalty here, there, whatever. And then I, I through that I got to work with London Welsh as well during my during my masters year. Um, so was from, that before or after they got they got the promotion? That was before the prem. That was before. This was when, uh, this would have been 2010, 2011, around then, so quite a while back. Yeah. Um, but some of the some of the boys there you, you would have played with at Park, like Lorne Ward, Big Lorne. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was at London Welsh at the time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good introduction to uh, what sport is from a playing side. Um, without yeah. it, without it being too, too elite, but the, the mentality of of everyone there being Championship rugby is very different to being Premiership rugby. Yeah, sure. 
and ha- so that was a great experience that then that then led you to stay with rug stick with rugby. Yeah, I I'm it, it was it was more of a snowball effect than anything. I didn't I didn't look to stay in rugby. I, I also worked in cricket um, and on the academic side of things, but the the rugby sort of word of mouth was really helpful um, in building in building a company and building a business in sports psychology. And and from there I I, I kind of expanded. I you know, got to go on a trip to Hong Kong free of charge um, oh, wow. to work on a charity rugby match over there. Like it opened a lot of doors um, until, yeah, and, until I found myself interestingly kind of different to what you've been interviewing before, moving abroad, but for the perp- not for the purposes of sport, but I had to leave sport behind a few years ago. So that it, it's, yeah, it was a very interesting roller coaster for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, man. So did you go knowing that you'd have to leave sport behind or when you went abroad or? Well, I, so I, I moved because I, I moved to Canada because I married a Canadian. So I, Makes sense. Know, it's nature, nature of the job. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I, did, I did some research before I left on, on what the consideration of sports psychology is over here and and the brutal honesty is it's about 10 to 15 years behind the UK in terms of its thinking, development, acceptance, and just yeah. the, the availability of sport. So where I am, um, I, live, I actually live about five minutes away from the headquarters of Rugby Canada, which would be okay, but the setup isn't, you know, it would be different if I lived five minutes away from the headquarters of the RFU and I knew people there. Uh, Rugby yeah. Canada is quite fragmented from what it seems and I'm not in a position in life where I could start again you know I have a young family now and, and a sure. mortgage etc when I was you know leaving university that was the great opportunity to try and start a business uh, yeah. without really knowing where it was going to go but so I, I came with some research but it, it basically just told me don't bother yeah. <laughs> That's what I was it's limited no, I mean it's limited, definitely. Um, but but I'm hearing things in Canada. They've they've got um, the MLR team. I think it's the Toronto Arrows yeah. um, who have picked up. I'm not sure if they're going to get another MLR team in the next couple of years as well. Yeah, rugby's an interesting one here. So maybe do, do you see some kind of potential there in the future to dip back in, or have you really written it off now? You've got other other like you said, you've got other responsibilities now. Um, it, it's not necessarily the reason why you moved. So maybe it's just pushed to the side, or is it something? Ah, uh, maybe you know, I have, have a look at it if, it, if there's something. <laughs> the, the the fire's always burning. There's always a little bit of a flame there. Um, there we are. It, it's interesting. So because I live on the west coast of Canada, and it. It's actually where you would you would expect there to be a rugby team before anywhere else because it's popular here. This is where they at, at the Rugby Canada headquarters is where they have one of the stops on the women's seven circuit, and it's sold out yeah. every year. And they do the men's sevens in Vancouver, yeah. um, so they get at the, the men's sevens they get twenty thirty thousand going every day to the sevens. Um, yeah. It's it's definitely popular here. If there was an MLR team out here. I'd, there's no harm in making contact, right? Um, but <laughs> absolutely I, I, not. And equally, I so there, there's one kid I'm I'm working with um, just through uh, knowing his dad, who is a, a coach here of um, of baseball. But this yeah. this kid is is uh, he's 14, and he's got 
potentially a future in baseball or basketball. He's very, very good at both. And his dad understands sport. He's a coach. Um, and obviously there's different cultures around how you coach and, and how, and the, I guess the youth pathways. Um, but this, this kid, he's, he's got his head screwed on properly and it'll be interesting to see where I can go with that. And if that, and if there's a success with him, that can grow and it can just organically develop into something. I don't want to, I don't want to throw yeah, everything out the door and put all my eggs in one basket. Now with a you know a two year old running around and a mortgage to pay, it's tough. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've used, I've used what I've, um, what I've gained from sport and applied that to professional life anyway. So I'm, I work in sort of the realm of project management with the government of British Columbia right now. And yeah, there's, there's aspects of, of sport that were that translate to business quite easily so yeah. you know, i'm 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 definitely not leaving sport behind i'm keeping my my brain ticking um yeah. but it, it's hard to stay up on the most recent research and 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 it's, it's interesting looking in now from really from the outside just to try and keep up but yeah i'm i'm definitely not given up for sure yeah, look, I mean, um, I was going to mention to you the first time I had any contact with a sports psychologist is probably probably quite young. And it was probably well, it was when I was 14 years old and I was playing in Saracens amateur team, mm-hmm. the Saracens amateur club there. That was my first rugby club. And they brought it. We had a really talented side and quite a few of those guys have, have gone on to have rugby careers. And um, they brought in for us a sports psychologist who sort of started to work with us with the idea that your mind is much more powerful than you might realize at 14 mm-hmm. years old and I remember them doing this experiment with us they had a something on a string I think it was a marble on a string or something and you'd hold it up in front of you and you'd imagine or visualize it moving around in a circle obviously it's just like a like a kid's yeah. magic trick really like <laughs> it, and I'm, you're 14 year old sitting there and the thing and you're just imagining it moving and suddenly the thing's moving around yeah. ma- and doing bigger and bigger circles and you're like now looking back at it obviously you know it's your your mind's just telling your fingers to yeah. move in a certain way but but it, it was the most amazing thing, and it had a pr- quite a profound effect on me. I was, I was, um, it's something that I always remember, like thinking, okay, I can, so I can visualize something, yeah, and then watch watch it manifest in reality, and it's kind of as simple as that. But w- once you extrapolate it out into well, real sport, professional sport, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a kicker myself, um, sort of a specialist goal kicker. Once you start applying that kind of visualization skill to a to a technique like kicking or throwing and, and things like that then it starts to to get really interesting and you hear a lot of a lot of um kickers you hear the johnny wilkinson stories and, and yeah. the techniques that they use around visualization and i just that was it was such a young age to start using those t- techniques i thought it was it was great from whoever was that those coaches at the time and i and i I just can't imagine that that's being repeated for kids around the country who are, who are involved in sport. I, I might be completely wrong, um, and you might have a completely different experience of, of that. Maybe it's just we were lucky to have someone studying the sports psychology at that time in that place. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a combination. I think you were lucky to have someone studying sports psychology at that time, and you were also lucky to be in an environment where someone said, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go, let's just see what happens. Um, 
a lot of what, what you'll find um, and what I found with. So um, at my old university, there was a, a, a research project that was going on um, while I, when I left um, for Canada that was run by Dr. Andy Morley. He's a, a great, uh, great guy in sports psychology. Um, and he was looking at um, the development of elite athletes from the youngest age they can remember all the way through to whatever stage they were at in their career, whether that was retirement or not, um, or yeah. they were, you know, just halfway through their career, whatever it was to that point. Um, and interestingly, I believe more often than not, those that were elite, top of their sport, whatever, just accepted whatever it was somebody was trying to do to help them. Even if they had no knowledge of it, um, they may not have even agreed with it at first, but if you walk into somewhere and you say, I've got this and it might make you better, those who really reach the top are the ones who go, try it, let's see what happens. So it's, it's opportunity, but it's also acceptance. So you were just in a good environment at that age that allowed yeah. somebody to walk in and say, I think this might make your team better, whether it's now or it gives them just a little skill that will grow into the future. Like you said, that's such a simple the marble on a string is so simple, but then you think that you connect to it now with goal kicking. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was. It's a. It's nice to know that that happened, and I think it happens more now than it would have done when you were fourteen. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that I think youth or young athletes should have as part of their coaching setup for sure yeah as part of their development so to speak it should be on their syllabus yeah and the, and the reason i say that is because if you if you have a, a an athlete who's gone through youth academy level um, and reached say premiership rugby and they've never had uh never had an injury like they've been one of those lucky ones right they've never had an injury they've never had a setback they've just kept going up and up and up and suddenly they get injured and they can't play for six to eight months. They've never had the support or the experience before then to understand what it takes to come back from that moment. Um, if you have a young athlete who's been injured at 16, so they've slowed their development by a year, but they've still, they've been working with a sports psychologist who still helps them uh, mentally because they can't work physically during that amount of time. They, yeah have the tools that yeah it may take longer in that pathway but they'll have the tools when they get to the elite level when there is a setback it won't affect them as much um so i think having the support at a young level helps when whether they need a sports psychologist or choose to use a sports psychologist later in their careers they will already have the tools there themselves yeah. or, or a baseline of tools to be able to assist them when things can and do go wrong yeah, do you, do you think um, sort of you mentioned maybe now nowadays there's you're more likely to see a sports psychologist in the mix? Is this the whole conversation around mental health that's going on, especially certainly in the UK? I'm not sure if, this, if there's the same interest over in Canada, but but it's definitely well. I'm not exactly in the UK right now, being yeah. locked down over here in Italy still, but. But I'm he hearing on the grapevine that there's a massive conversation going on around mental health, around how clubs um, help players with regards to these sort of setbacks you were talking about with long-term injuries, with 
with maybe careers ending and and kind of related depression that follows is that is is that sort of how the the conversation around that having an impact on or have you on your career not yours specifically but certainly those of yeah of other sports psychologists yeah it's it's um it's a very multifaceted thought process right so you've you can prepare yourself in advance for retirement um it helps if you look at someone like James Haskell, right? He's he's set himself up to leave rugby behind. It may not have been easy, but it's coming. And he saw that in advance and now he's continuing on and he's not bored yeah. as such. Probably busier than he's ever been, I would imagine. Sure. Um, but within... So that that's like retirement is a tricky one. Um, it's, like, it's sort of how you how you set yourself up for that um, and, and opportunities that may or may not come to you and it may be it's difficult at different levels of rugby as well you look at the championship right but you look at well, in national one i guess most people that like you'll be having a job as well as playing rugby championship some will and then premiership you'd expect people to just be trying to carve out their careers for post rugby um yeah. in terms of the mental health side when playing sport with professional athletes it, it, it's very it's very interesting to see the 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 mentality towards mental health changing because I, I mean, it's, it's money doesn't buy you happiness, right? A lot of professional athletes make a ton of money and but money doesn't buy you happiness. You can, anybody can have mental health problems or mental health issues or mental health concerns, or just want to know about mental health in general. Um, and I think before, especially when I was starting out in sports psychology, there was a, a, a big mentality of, using a psychologist was because you had a problem that was that was the thought as opposed to you use a psychologist to enhance your skills or be better than you are currently in what you're doing perform to a higher level um so i I think there's different approaches towards mental health there's performance side but if you're not performing well that can feed into the other side of mental health right Uh, if you're not being selected if you're not going to be offered a new contract if it's not as it's not as public in Canada, I don't think. But just just because they don't have the sporting infrastructure that the UK has, sure. and, and and the culture, the culture is as I said to you before, the culture is you know no crying in baseball, no like this. It's you just put up with it and you shut up. It's very old school. Yeah, yeah. And you see that in the coaching. Um, but again, it's it's growing, it's growing. But the, yeah, the mental health side is very important. And, and it's, it's good that there's um, elite level athletes who are publicly coming out and saying about their depression and about what's happened to them. And it, hopefully that will allow athletes to lean on, on that somewhat and, and provide uh, a platform for them to not be ashamed or put off from saying that I'm away from performance, I, you know, I'm struggling with my mental health and it's, and it's affecting me at work. Yeah, look, I, I wanted to wanted to touch on this because um, the podcast you're not quite quite in line with that. I've gone a, abroad to continue my sport. However, mm-hmm. your role as as a psychologist in that this sense is so important for for seeing people's issues or problems or potential mm-hmm. with sport, rugby specifically. And I wanted to ask you about 
guys that go abroad to play rugby, and you mentioned it just now that some guys are coming out more and saying that they've got problems and things like that. Um, A lot of guys are very proud guys. Uh, I think men in general are very proud. I discussed it on a recent podcast with um, a guy, an Irish international, ex-Irish international called Jamie Hagan. He's currently um, playing down in France in in Bézier in the Pro D2. And he's been around the world with his rugby and, but he wasn't shy to set, to speak about the those lows that he had when he was playing down in in Melbourne in the in the Super Rugby down there, and he was in a, it sounded like he was in a real low place. And but I think what he was saying was talk, just talking about it, even on a platform like this, having a conversation, knowing that maybe other people could might listen and it might give them an idea of how to how it might help to share share that kind of feeling or with with someone in a similar situation um how important that is i, I don't know if if um what your thoughts are on guys playing rugby abroad and how that could be like a mental burden in itself because i i, I think about it in two ways like there's the side of it which is this is the adventure uh, you're you're on a journey and you're you're having an amazing experience of a new culture and stuff. And maybe you can relate to this a bit being abroad mm-hmm. uh, as well. And, and the other side of it is, well, you're away from your family. And I, I spoke to a Spanish international um, on the podcast as well about this, who was, who was playing professionally in England uh, with Leicester Tigers and Northampton. He found himself completely alone, didn't have any friends immediately. He was, he was sort of, um, isolated within the within the team environment didn't like the food didn't like but but he was there for the love of the game and so there's the two the two sides of it i just wanted to know from from your your like professional opinion what's the kind of what's the your viewpoint your standpoint on playing rugby abroad with regards to that it's a it's a very interesting point because even if you just remove um the rugby from it and the moving abroad thing i i have a very um, similar, similar thought process to that. So I, what well, I underestimate, so I say my rugby is my family. Yeah. I, I moved yeah. to Canada for my family. Um, and then everything around it just is what it is. I wanted to be with my family. So this is, this is where we are. If you then over time, the excitement of being in this new environment kind of, it just slows down. It, you're like you're, you're always happy to be there. Um, but then you start to think, okay, well, I've now isolated myself from everything that I knew. Um, I, my, any friends I had are, no, are not here. I have to create new friends, um, which sounds simple, but it, it's a support network when it comes to mental health. If you, if you feel isolated and you, you can talk yourself into being isolated, even if you're not isolated. Um, yeah, sure. With rugby, there's a nice opportunity to have this camaraderie around you. You're, you're already, you know you're moving there to be in a squad of 30, 40 blokes who all have the same, at the end of the day, similar goals to you. So there is a natural support network there that you could use, but the problem is this is the talking about it, as you said, is it's, uh, the the low points are so can be so low for people that you, you they don't want to be a burden so they don't want to speak to somebody about it they I, you don't want to bring other people down 
to what you are feeling. So it's not always a selfish thing to just keep to yourself with things like that. It's actually could be a selfless thing, but it's a misguided selfless act. Um, the, the key is talking for sure. The key is talking because yes. there's a perception. And it, like you said before, like with men in particular, but also in sport in particular, there is a perception um, that it might be a sign of weakness. But I guarantee if, if it's spoken about, the support that would follow would be above and beyond what was expected. So talking is key. Um, moving abroad for rugby, it, like it, it doesn't always work out. Like, that's the thing. It, it's a risk. Everything comes with a risk. You've been lucky enough to, I guess, your Europe trot as opposed to globe trot. <laughs> but you've... Yeah, um, yeah. How have, how have you found moving? Because you, you didn't just move abroad. You moved abroad and then again and then again. Yeah. So how have you found yeah. the, the, the change of culture place to place? Well, the first thing I said to you about, around these two ways of looking at the, the, how you look at moving abroad, I'm on the first side of the fence where I, any culture, any new experience, I'd see it all as an adventure. I love le learning languages. Um, Again, the support network's already there for me because of the rugby. So I know I'm going into a, a bunch of 30 guys. It's going to be, for me, my personality and my position in the team means that it's going to be relatively easy for me to, to settle and quickly. Um, or at least I go with that attitude every time I move. Um, it's not always been because I've wanted to move. Some of the moves have been, have been I'd say, forced or or the opportunities have presented themselves at the time that that um, not necessarily were my ideal options, but but I've just gone with the flow a little bit. However, you got me thinking just now about well, it's it might be easy for me in my rugby environment, but I tell you what, for my wife who doesn't have that same support network, um, but is coming along with me, yeah, that is that is a different story altogether, and and it's much much harder for her to assimilate to, to a new culture, to a new, to a move, to having to move every year to, or every couple and, and being away from her day to day, her mm -hmm. friends, family and stuff than it is for someone going into a team environment who knows that he's going to have all the things he, he had in his home country. They're sort of ready to go in, in when you look, when you're talking about a rugby club, um, even if the, the language might be different, you, you at least know what's what you're getting yourself into. But if you're someone who's coming along for the ride, or I I can see how how that can be how that can be a, a real tough time. So, like you say, it's important. So I think it's so important to create that support network quickly to have yeah. to have people around you, family or whoever, who understand the situation that you're in, who are available to whether it's come visit to speak i mean technology nowadays is an incredible thing to to be able to even during the lockdown like i mean we're speaking from italy to canada right yeah. now and and we're speaking like i mean your internet connection is phenomenal to <laughs> comparison to some, to some of the considering you're on vancouver island which i didn't even know they had wi-fi out there <laughs> no no mate it's it, it is it to be abroad even in in what's just happened with imagine the amount of rugby players abroad away from their families and, and with the COVID-19 coming in they're all locked down in their homes they're not able to access that team environment and they're then um, 
They're able to use Zoom or Skype or to contact home to speak to their families if they're there. You know, that, that's a massive, massive thing uh, for me. And and yeah, because you, you do, you're, you're leaving behind a lot to to have these what what I what I perceive as great experiences abroad. Others might not. Close family might might be missing you a lot. You, you know, you, you it's the same if you're moving abroad for any job, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that what you mentioned about sort of, you know, your, your wife has to come along with you. Like, that's just the nature of the business. But and, and as you say, when you walk into a rugby club, you've immediately got, if if you're open and if you want to talk and if you are the kind of person who's a bit of an open book, you have an immediate 30-person network right off the bat. Whereas you then, without realizing, you actually become that 30-person support network for your wife. Yeah. Right off the bat, because she, you know, if you if you move to you've moved to Italy, I don't know. She may or may not know people in where you've moved to in Italy. But if she doesn't, then that's fully on you, and you assume a kind of like a pseudo psychologist role, because you have to be that that foundation that makes it okay to go out and adventure from your sure. your foundation of adventure is rugby, which is great and it's exciting and of course, take every opportunity you can if that's what it is to you. But then your your thoughts on rugby, she has to have the same thoughts for something else, and that has to be you. So as, as long as you're exactly. a good person. <laughs> no, well, exactly, mate. No, um, you're absolutely right. And to be honest, um, I've had to therefore take that into account with some of my career decisions. Um, France was is a great place for rugby, certainly economically speaking. Uh, However, it it certainly wasn't the best place for for my particular situation, our family. So the the last move I made to Italy was was one, taking taking everything into account and not just my adventuring mind and my my progression of rugby. Certainly, maybe if I was younger at the time, that might have taken more of a a primary role in my thinking, the rugby side of things. But having having a young family like yourself, this this last move to Italy was was really with with them in mind, and what, where might be culturally the best place to be at um, at the time, rather than rather than thinking. So so things change, I guess, with with your age, and and I guess some of the people yeah. listening might might be just eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, coming out of school, university, thinking about having experiences abroad, and thinking on the. My, my side of the fence, which is the adventure, go and go and get it, basically, um, go and have an experience, go abroad, um, and it's just something to be aware of, I guess. That that maybe not for the, them to even think about, but just looking further down the line for for guys like my age, it's something to when when they're thinking about settling down um, and having families and stuff the the responsibilities i guess change have you seen that with with clients and yeah i mean as you say as you've got older you've become a little bit more self-aware um and, and aware of what's going on around you as opposed to just this is fun for me so i'm going to do it and there's absolutely no harm in that if that's where you are in in, in life and one of my one, my wife might disagree with that <laughs> but <laughs> well, one of my one of my favorite phrases is the right time to do something is the time that you're doing it because I don't, I don't think anybody should say, well, this person did something then and, 
oh, well, uh, because they did this, that means I'm past it or I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough to do that yet. Do what feels right. And as you grow and as you develop, you will develop skills. Like self-awareness is a skill. It's a skill that I am. I'm still working on for sure. It's never something that you, you, you reach the end of. Um, but mo- moving abroad. For, maybe Buddha. Maybe. I mean, we're all trying, right? <laughs> but moving, moving abroad for, for, for professional sport, it's, it's a lot of pressure because, you know, you, you have the pressure of upholding your family roots as well as performing on the other side of the coin, which is for the reason you moved. It's a lot of pressure. So if you don't have that family attachment, then that's one part of the pressure that you wouldn't necessarily feel. So I, like, I get it. Like you say, it was great. It might've been great financially to be in France, but you've got another side to look at. Like you can play well in France and then stay in France and make you more money, make it to the, you know, division one in France. But is that the right thing to do for your moment in time? And you had to make that call. And I'm, <laughs> I bet your wife appreciates it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I hope so. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she watches this. A bit, I might be in trouble for even mentioning, <laughs> mentioning her. Um, no, mate, no. It's, it's a great to get that outside perspective. I think, um, look, you were involved in rugby. Uh, when, when was the last time you were involved in rugby? So I moved, oh, it would have been... The start of the rugby season in 2016. So, yeah, I moved here in December 2016. So it's been three and a half years since I moved to Canada. So you're you're seeing a lot of changes in the sport, I guess, since then. But fundamentally, you still have the same same sort of issues um, present in the game. Is there anything anything or the direction that that the sport is moving? Are Are you still in touch with the sport? Do you follow it? Mm-hmm. Um, do you speak? Do you speak to rugby guys still at all back back home? Or yeah, I, st- I still keep in touch with a f- with a few uh, a few back home. Is um, there's the, that's the 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 great thing about rugby is it is a community, um, and even if even if you move somewhere, you've still got some of the boys reaching out, seeing how you're doing, and and vice versa. And it's it's always it's always nice to to feel that little bit of home again. Um, yeah. The, the direction that I see sport going in, I mean, recently it's just completely gone up in the air, isn't it? Um, yeah. It was before I, I saw, and, and you saw it in the media with, with Saracens, a lot of it was just becoming about the money. And, and I get it, rugby's a very short shelf life. Um, the, reven- the revenue and the money became a huge focus and then it came into focus for the, the wider sporting community by what happened with Saracens. Um, and and I, I think in a way this is going to, that, that situation and the pandemic is going to really help ground rugby again. Um, I, I think you do, you do need the finances. You need to let players know that they're sacrificing their bodies for something. Uh, obviously there's pride right the the pride comes with it it's to to run out on a rugby field in front of however many hundred thousand people over the course of your career is is great you represent something but but it does end right there 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 is a conclusion and it's a lot earlier than in most industries and the risks are much greater than in most industries too 
Um, you, you look at the, there's some of the some of the young people or the younger athletes at Boston Park when we were there who some have kicked on to great things, some should have done, but through outside of their own control haven't been able to. Uh, injuries, um, just lack of opportunity, whether they were talented or not, and that's that's hard. So I think. It would be nice to see rugby become more grounded, have a bit of a global calendar. That's what I would like to see, um, have things line up so that so that everybody can share in the experiences at the same time, no matter where they are. And, and hopefully it will provide a nice foundation to build from post-pandemic for, for rugby, for sure. Now, I think that's an awesome observation to, to end our, our conversation. Episode nine of the podcast we've got there we've done a non-rugby player podcast which is awesome mate i really appreciate your your outside look on things your take has been awesome as a as a sports psychologist or former rugby sports psychologist um hopefully you can get back into it in the future at some point one day it would be nice give me a call catsy (laughs) (laughs) for sure when i'm that head coach yeah exactly watch this space watch this space mate. no harry i really appreciate it mate and yeah, I look forward to chatting again soon. Um, Absolutely. And we'll have to get you on the podcast once once this rug, global rugby uh, sort of initiative that you're talking about has kicked off post-pandemic again. Once I'm in charge of world rugby, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, mate. Again, appreciate your time. And we'll speak Thanks for soon, having man. me. Take Thank care. You. Thanks. You can subscribe to the podcast at rugbyabroad.com. Thanks for listening in and I hope you join me for the journey.